Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 95 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, sore on the back of my neck. And joining us tonight from our respective three isolation chambers, she is the writer of such films as The Black Gloves, Unkindness of Ravens, Lord of Tears and The Devil's Machine, it is Sarah Daly. Sarah, hello. Hello, that is me. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I'm assuming that you're uh, following all the necessary protocols, keeping your inside all that stuff oh yeah i've been like barricaded indoors for the last like week or so of just living in terror <laughs> yeah sure sure and to be honest i'm okay with this i'd rather not be outside yeah in a weird way it's kind of a relief <laughs> nobody's gonna knock on the door i don't have to see anyone do anything it's yeah. it sort of takes the burden off your shoulders a little bit as an introvert <laughs> well if i can alleviate your burdens further both mitch and sarah i would like to tell you both that in the spirit of honesty i have put trousers on for the occasion you have i have i have i have been trouserless for the majority of the day but i figured i would to some extent dress up i mean i'm not sat Aww. here in a suit <laughs> Well, I'm honoured. Sarah, you answered very quickly when we asked you which film you wanted to do. You came almost straight back with Toby Hooper's 1986 take on Invaders from Mars. Why this one? I did. Well, I feel like this film's had a bad rap and I don't think it deserves it. I think people were very hard on it, certainly at the time, and it seems to still have a bit of a stigma about it, like as if it was a failure, but I think it's brilliant and fresh and wonderful and deserves praise. How did you come across this to begin with? Um, Well, I actually only saw it for the first time I think four years ago it was at Nocturna Festival in Madrid and uh, Toby Hooper was actually there showing the the film it was like I guess a legacy screening type thing right so I actually got to see it on the big screen with Toby Hooper lovely lovely stuff Mm -hmm. that made it an easy choice as well because I get to also brag about the fact that I met Toby Hooper (laughs) (laughs) yeah fair one I I always think it's kind of interesting when people pick something that is kind of around about this age that they didn't see when they were much younger Mm -hmm. yeah and and it's probably kind of unusual for me as well because I I mean I loved fantasy or anything sci-fi as a kid so I don't know why I didn't really come across it I guess it just never really showed up in the video store or on tv or whatever but I got there in the end Mm -hmm. yes indeed and and thank you for uh, bringing it back into my life which I'm going to preempt you here and talk about my exposure to this film okay go on Uh, the first time I saw this film you might be unsurprised to hear was via the guy with the van the video van Uh Mm -hmm. uh-huh yeah 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 Yeah, so Sarah, in case you didn't know, uh, when I was younger, we had a guy that used to come around the streets in a van, um, and he. So did we. No, I did. Thank you. I wasn't. I've never met anyone else who's had one of those before. Yeah, yeah, and he would. He had a wee book, and he would rent videos out of his van. Yeah. 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 Like the good old days. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Bring Um, it back. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I I mean, I'm. I'm still a big advocate of physical media. I'll buy DVDs at the back of a van any day. Um, but yeah, I, I watched this film and when I was younger, and actually to an extent nowadays, I was like, this film's really scary. Uh, I think this film is too scary for me, a seven-year-old. Uh, yeah. And it's probably too scary for 
most children now. Uh, yeah, yeah. It just really taps into some very primal childhood fears. Like, I think it would just be devastating to watch if you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but I have to say, I have grown up since then to have a deep, deep affection for this film. I own the novelization by Ray Garton. That is very impressive. Yeah, it's a, th- it's a thing of some beauty. Uh, it's this is fair. basically just becoming a podcast where you brag about owning the novelizations of things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's very true to the film um, for the most nice. part, which uh, I can't say for all my movie novelizations. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love this film. I haven't actually watched it in a long time, so it was nice to go back and watch it again. And um, yeah, as soon as we're finished here, I'm immediately going to go and watch The Faculty. Oh, nice. Uh, Sarah, we have a challenge for you. You may know what's coming if you've listened to the show before. Um, I may. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, Andy, do we have 30 seconds on the clock? Uh, sat- from my satellite position, I can confirm that that is the case. <laughs> Excellent, good. Sarah, okay, I have a feeling you know what's coming. If I count you in, yep. will you be willing to give us your best attempt at a 30 second synopsis of Invaders from Mars. I, I will. I'll do my best. You stand pretty ready. Let's do this. Three, okay. two, one, go. So a uh, little boy sees an uh, alien spaceship land in the quarry behind his house one night. He tells his dad, who goes to investigate, but he comes back changed. And soon almost everyone in the town is changed. Um, they basically all start acting cold and emotionless. And the only one who believes David is his school nurse. And together, somehow... They enlist the Marines to help them save the world. And maybe it was all a dream, or was it? Brilliant. Yeah, perfect. perfect. How long was it? <laughs> Time to spare. Can't complain. Ooh, nice. Uh, go- Sarah, I gotta say, in terms of hitting all the beats and getting in on the time, that's about as good as we've had in a long time. Yes. absolutely (laughs) nailed it right well thank you kindly let's get stuck into this thing something that andy i know will take your box right out of the gates that sweet canon films logo yeah i've got to be honest and and it's never less than thrilling to see the canon films logo and this one was part of that kind of weird contractual obligation thing that toby hooper wound up involved in that had like life force which makes an appearance in this film by the way and texas chainsaw massacre too so uh yeah an, an interesting time in his career some real kind of credentials behind this one across the board really because we've got creatures by stan winston here as well yep visual effects by john dykstra as well yeah and like i was looking into the people who wrote it as well uh which i didn't realize but dan o'bannon actually wrote alien aliens and total recall yeah yeah. Wow. And yeah. one of my favourites, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah, I know, totally. And like, I think he actually wrote Aliens the same year as he wrote Invaders from Mars, which is a big year. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah. it was Alien that oh, he Alien, wrote. yeah, you're yeah. right. Because yeah, yeah. I know Must that um, while this was shooting, Stan Winston certainly was off building stuff for Aliens concurrently. Wow, cool. So uh, first characters we meet here, our main man, our protagonist, young David Gardner. And his dad, George, staring up at the night sky. Dad extremely blasé about David swearing here. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Like, it's the little touches like, like that in the sort of family relationship that I think makes it really unusual. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't really follow the normal tropes of how a family should be together. They have this kind of, like, taking the piss out of each other that they do all the time. <laughs> that makes it really quite warm and nice. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It's um, It does feel quite natural. I think what hamstrings it a little bit is the bad ADR. Yeah, yeah, it does take you out of it a little bit, which is a shame. Uh, just in certain points, I think. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. I mean, like, there's times where I spotted it, and I think that once you spot it, you can't kind of unsee it. But I think yeah. that it was kind of, it was only in real, it was only in kind of like very slight pockets that it really kind of bothered me. I've got to yeah, say, yeah, Mitch, I'm amazed that you haven't talked about the extremely long Superman-esque credits. 
It didn't go unnoticed, but I feel like all I've done recently is berate films for having really long credit sequences. So I was, really? beginning to, I was beginning to wonder if I was the problem. So I was going to wait to see if anybody else said it. No, I, I skipped through them. I'll admit it. I think I, I think that's only it's only right to skip through them. Um, I didn't, and my situation for watching this because my first watch of this was right now, and literally as the credits were rolling, I was calling Andy. So I didn't skip them, and my situation was extremely time sensitive. <laughs> wow, kudos. Okay, so also of course, completing the family unit, we have the mum here, Ellen. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah, who I keep looking at and thinking is Kathy Griffin, but it's yes, not. she really looks like her. <laughs> so she kind of breaks up the kind of astronomy party that David and his dad are having out back. They head for bed. At this point, we realise that David, obviously a conventional cool kid, given his loves for both astronomy and coin collecting. <laughs> <laughs> What I do like about this is that it wastes absolutely no time getting into the kind of meat of this thing because literally they talk to him for a sec, say goodnight, and then immediately... Yes. An alien spacecraft lands over the back of the mysterious hill. Yeah. Yes, it's great. I love it. Like, it's such an efficient setup. Like, it really introduces you to them all and makes you care about them right away because they're so natural with each other. But then, yeah, boom, you're right. Right into the action first turning point. Like, I think it's four minutes in or something. Let's not forget, Mitch. Chekhov's coin. Yes, indeed. One of a couple of Chekhov items uh, in this one. Never give your son a classic coin in Act 1 that he doesn't use in Act 3. <laughs> to power oh, yeah, an that's, alien laser gun. That's key. <laughs> yeah, as if it were a slot machine. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. I have, I have, I have a lot of questions of about about the last twenty minutes or so of this. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that one of the two of you will be able to answer them. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> like, manage your expectations down. <laughs> yeah. They keep talking about the proximity of the hill to the house, like that the spaceship landed behind, but it very much looks like it's in their garden. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It seems a very strange place for a house. Yeah, that hill's inside the property line. Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah. confident. bad planning going on there. David tries to get his parents' attention. They come through, obviously, at that point. There's no trace of it. In the morning, George is acting very strangely. Now, we'll talk about what happens as the kind of scale of this widens out a little bit. But I think that a lot of the film's best work in terms of being quite creepy, and I think some of this genuinely really is quite creepy, is when it's a little bit more simple when you're first kind of getting these introductions to how people are going to behave once the aliens have kind of taken hold of them. And the mm -hmm. first real look at this you get is George at the table, and I think it's really good. Oh yeah, I think this stuff's all great. I just want to quickly say, I don't like those pyjamas that look like a little old man's suit. <laughs> But don't knock it till you've tried it. I've tried it. I don't like it. Oh, really? I don't like I'm the material. I prefer a more uh, a, a jersey feel, like a t-shirt feel. I'm not Something a fan softer, of yeah. yeah. Too yeah. scratchy for you. I'm not a fan of the, the, those weird pyjamas that are like a little suit made out of shirt material. It's a wee bit too abrasive. Yes, I, yes, Mitch. My, my, my skin yeah. demands better. Yeah, I guess you want more of a contrast between your day wear and your night wear. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Uh, you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> George acting very strangely, he is uh, missing a slipper, not dressed for work and seeming quite spaced out, which has basically been me every morning this week. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, um, immediate, immediately out of sorts. But yeah, like I say, I, I like this quite a bit and I think that it gets incrementally creepier when yes. uh, David's getting ready to head out to the bus and he goes out with him and tells him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think like that this. whole sequence is probably my favourite because it, it, yeah, it achieves the creepiness so well. There's just something so perturbing about the things he's doing, like when he guzzles all those sweetener tablets. Oh, that's and they're just gross. like crunching down his face and he just seems oblivious. It's hideous. I think it's every child's worst nightmare that their parents are just one day just wake up wrong, like they're not their parents anymore. I love the frequency at which people are trying to get David to come over the hill with them. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, escalating frequency also. Yeah, like there's some there's something <laughs> over there. You're really really going to want to see it, and then it's like, oh, uh, we could go over there for a picnic, or we could do like any, any number of reasons to get you over that hill and into our grasp. It's, yeah, just endless fun to be had over the hill. Yep, yep. Just, just go. Just, just right over there, that part you can't see. Right over there. Yeah, yeah it's, it is slightly funny how ineffective they are, actually. Like, they probably could just, like, pick him up and drag him over the hill. Rather than just being like, oh, no, he said no to the picnic. Now what do we do? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, God, this kid drives a fucking hard bargain. <laughs> yeah. At this point, David heads off to school. Actually, before we move on, I just want to say, actually, on that note, fair play to David for immediately being so resistant to going over the hill because I think that if I was 10 and I was like suspicious about what was going on over the hill but my parents were like nah it's fine come over the hill I'd be like well alright they'll know what they're doing yeah yeah he seems quite a solid confident young man I like that (laughs) Mitch that's exactly the reason why you're going to have a wind on the back of your neck (laughs) you're far too trusting your little Labrador I can't even defend myself against that. That's the worst thing. <laughs> um, off to school just now where uh, David and his classmates are doing classic boys will be boys things like throwing live frogs at each other. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. The usual, yeah, we've all been there. Um, also, our first introduction to uh, extremely shady teacher, uh, Mrs. McKelch, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, hilariously unsympathetic, I think, when David is thrown, like when the frogs are getting thrown around and David's got blood on his finger. She sends him to the nurse's office and says that she hopes he gets tetanus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of get the feeling. Nice. I mean, this is Louise Fletcher. She's an Academy Award winner. She was Nurse Ratchet and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, and she's she... basically Nurse Ratchet in this. As yeah, well. that's that's exactly it. She's uh, <laughs> yeah. it's the same character has just shifted profession. <laughs> what do we think of the work she's doing here? It's fine. I mean, it's ludicrously over the top, but that's the point. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't you don't want a, a subtle assimilated alien nightmare teacher. Yeah, she's got a, she's got a swipe. <laughs> well, the then, tr- well, then how would you know? <laughs> exactly. She's got a swipe of the trunch bill around her. Oh, she does indeed, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and even, I guess, Heather has a, has a touch of the Roald Dahl child. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely Roald Dahl undertones, actually, when you I think actually, about it. Yeah, especially this kind of like kids versus adults tone that you get for mm-hmm. a little while. I think that there's definitely that. At this point, David comes home, all does not seem well. We get two fake-out jump scares in fairly rapid succession here. Given my general aversion to fake-out jump scares, I really enjoy both of these. He first gets jump scared while watching TV by his mom and her robot. Did you notice what he was watching, Mitch? Obviously, he, I didn't. He was watching specifically the weird Glasgow bus scene from Life Force. Oh. <laughs> ah. Yeah. When for Good Where I. for some reason, in a scene that's set in London, there's a Glasgow's Miles Better bus. Hmm. See well episode 16? 19. 19. Thank you, Mitch. But yeah, obviously at this point, he is ex- he's worried because his dad's been missing for a while. They go outside and look for him with the aid of the police. And then he very abruptly comes back with his new colleague, Ed. They are wearing matching suits. He busts from the bushes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's just like a peer out of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> when they jumped out, I was like, oh, wait, hang on. Like, are these guys like FBI or something? Oh, 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 it's George, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's just come home through an unconventional route. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he, he introduces um his new colleague ed who has gone as quick as he arrives um the police call it a night at this point as well um and uh, all wander off needless to say the minute that they're back by themselves george pitch is going for a walk over the hill <laughs> uh, they go in and they eat and he says um oh it's beautiful over the it's beautiful over the hill we'll go for a walk there after you've done the dishes which leads me to believe that he's been possessed by an intergalactic chauvinist <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. I like how, how annoyed she seems at this, though. Like, that's so out of character. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Obviously, they yeah. have a much more balanced housework schedule before he became assimilated. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, like, the, the tone of surprise in her voice is like, George, you're not normally this susceptible to conventional gender roles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I just say, I, I just want to touch quickly on another thing that I don't like. Uh, so we've had pajamas. That's in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't like when parents call each other mum and dad. Oh yeah, I hate that. I hated that. I was wondering if that was supposed to be a thing that she'd pick up on that he wouldn't normally say. I was kind of hoping because <laughs> yeah, it weirds me out. Yeah, I clocked that as well. I'm quite glad that we've got some consensus on that point. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's weird. It's absolutely weird. If you're out there and you're listening to this, and that's what you choose to do, that's how you choose to live your life. <laughs> stop it. It's weird. Yeah, we're all disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're back to school at this point. David, uh, starting to some pretty distressing stuff happening here. He's isolating himself from his peers. Oh no, uh, Mitch, you've jumped. Out. You've jumped a crucial scene. Oh, have I? You've jumped the scene that starts with a note that I've just written, which says "sinister bacon." <laughs> so this is the breakfast scene where uh, the mum has now been taken over because when the offer is made to go for a romantic midnight walk over the hill. Oh God, this 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 is important. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. she takes him up on it immediately. It, like she doesn't yeah, question it. Yeah. I did wonder what he could have done to persuade her so quickly when he's obviously not very good at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if this is how he normally operates in terms of trying to get his wife to do romantic things with him, then this is a deeply unsatisfied woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually prefer the scene with the mum here to the previous scene with George. I think this scene with the mum is really weird and really unsettling. Like, from the really sinister way she's eating the bacon to when she just starts eating handfuls of mince and salt. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty hideous. And then she gives him that really frightening, lingering hug. Yeah, it looks like she's crushing him. Yeah, I, yeah, I think like, this like, scene's pers- amazing. Yeah, me, no, me too, I totally agree. And it really ramps things up because now you feel like, well, now he's got no one. Exactly. And I think that, like, um, he does kind of cut a kind of lonely figure when we join him back at the school as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, the way that they film him, like, inside the jungle gym, like, it's a cage. It's not very subtle, but it's still really effective. Yeah, like, like, like it's incredibly blunt force, but it gets the point across. Speaking of blunt yeah. force, one of his pals comes running up and starts smacking the cage, uh, the, or the jungle gym <laughs> thing, with a metal baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. You didn't do that in school? <laughs> that's, how I, that's, that's to this day how I get everyone's attention we weren't allowed jungle gyms <laughs> but the baseball bats were fine <laughs> uh, David overhears Mrs. McKelch and police officer mentioning his dad's name gets uh, naturally a little bit suspicious about this goes to follow it down and uh, suspicions realised in bizarre fashion when he realises that Mrs. McKelch is eating a frog yeah. yeah yeah that's a pretty clear indicator of something being wrong I would have thought Reminder, Oscar winner. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, Oscar winner. She ate that frog really beautifully. I think it was a Meisner technique. <laughs> <laughs> this, th- th- this, was, this was her like DiCaprio and the Revenant moment. <laughs> yeah. Again, I love this scene. She's covered in green goop. Her face has been kind of paled up a little bit. Um, the frog's legs are kicking hysterically out of her mouth. This, <laughs> this is extremely horrible. Like, this is the scene that stands out the most to me from when I first watched this as a wee guy. Yeah, it's pretty memorable. Like, it's it's so utterly horrific. <laughs> 
full on. This can rip straight into him getting chased away from the classroom, both by Mrs. McKelch and her uh, like pigtailed underling. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Takes off running, and at this point, we meet somebody who will obviously become a key player in this entire endeavor, Nurse Magnuson. Well, we've already briefly met her. That is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. But she, like, she kind of comes into the fray a little bit more here. Yeah. By the way, Karen Black is just great. She's great in everything. Uh, she's great here, and she is David's mum in real life. Yeah, I saw that, and I think it does really help them to have like some real chemistry. Apart from the weird moment later where they're in the basement where it very much looks like David's going to kiss her. <laughs> it is strangely romantic, yes. <laughs> Um, but no, I think that I think that there. I didn't know that. Continuing my DiMaggio like hot streak of doing absolutely no research before these things. Um, <laughs> I um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that, but um, it does explain a lot about because their dynamic is really natural and it's really easy to watch. I think. And also, I don't think that kid would have gotten cast if his mother wasn't Karen Black. No offense, and I like him. Like, I like how natural he is, but he doesn't look like a normal leading kid. You know, he kind of looks like a normal kid. Yeah, it reminds me of the the little guy that's in um, Last Action Hero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you you feel like they just plucked him off the street, which they kind of probably did. Yeah, yeah, in a way, yeah. Yeah, Um, in an artistic way. (laughs) Exactly. Um, This reminds me, actually, of uh, when I was was watching the the kid that played David. It reminded me of a conversation that we had ages and ages ago on the show about the main kid in Extro. Right, okay. Right. Uh With Rob Morgan when he was on. And he said, basically, that the kid had the look of a kid from, like, you know, those kind of, like, 1980s cautionary tale adverts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Danger. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, like like the, the kid that ignores the warnings and plays down by the canal. Yeah. Yeah. Flies his kite by the power lines. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that kid. It's like yeah. That was that was that was the bell that I couldn't unring about the kid that plays David. <laughs> yeah, I see that. I see that. <laughs> So, David explains to Linda what he thinks is going on. She's understandably a little bit sceptical, but in fairness, kind of gives him the time of day. She laughs in his fucking face. <laughs> she, she does. She actually but she still laughs. helps him. Yeah, she does. I mean, that's fine. She's got a nice clear neck, so we know that she's she's fine. Everything's on the level. Yeah, I, li- I like that she just... I mean, she... she she kind of goes through phases of believing him, not believing him, but either way, she still helps him and goes along with him, which I think is really nice. And again, goes against the normal tropes of... You know, normally in these things, it's like a husband and a wife and the husband's telling the wife that she's mad that she should go back on her meds or whatever. It's all in her head. But in this case, it's like a school nurse and a child and she still believes him. And I think that's really nice. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that you're right. I think it's actually like an incredibly annoying trope that surfaces all over the place where it's like people who in the face of these kind of this kind of like increasingly convincing evidence is just like are met by uniform skepticism by literally everyone until it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I'm tired of that. Yes. Yeah. I think I think I think you speak for everyone when you say that for sure. And it is I think that it is nice to just kind of like ground it a little bit with somebody who's like, okay, this sounds kind of frivolous, but I'll hear you out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can I just ask, there's a bit here where, like, McKelch comes in and she's, again, being really pushy and really keen to, like, manhandle this child. Um, mm-hmm. And Magnuson or Linda in- intervenes and she's like, just, I'm checking him over, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And then, like, McKelch starts saying, like, stuff like, you're pushing it, sister. And then she says something else, yeah. it, like, you're out of line, sister. And I'm like, is she calling her sister because she's a nurse? Or is she calling it, is it a street thing? I wondered that too. It does. It did kind of stick out as being out of place. I couldn't quite get my head around it. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even think about the nurse thing. I just thought it was, like, really, really weird sass. 
<laughs> yeah, it was. Again, we've reached consensus. And that's, and, and that's <laughs> yeah. the main thing. And the important thing is that we're doing it about all the key questions. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And we all have pants on. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's fully clothed and everyone agrees. <laughs> isn't that beautiful? <laughs> isn't it lovely? It's a beautiful thing. In these trying times. <laughs> Uh, Linda helps David escape um, at this point because obviously he is being pursued by both. I don't know the I don't know the, the wee girl's name, the wee creepy girl. I don't know I don't know her name. Heather. Heather. Thank you. Yes. Oh, and apparently, um, she she plays somebody in Ticks that you talked about in your last episode. I don't remember which character she plays, but she's in it. Oh wow! Really? There you go. Oh God. Also, side note. Thanks for listening to the last episode. <laughs> no worries. Always oh, nice. His parents show up at this point and they're furious. Meanwhile, David has hid in uh, Mrs. McElcher's incredibly creepy van o taxidermy. <laughs> yeah, it is the scariest <laughs> yeah. van in the world. It's a serial killer's yeah, van. It is. Uh, so he basically follows her to a second location, looks on as she climbs down a fence and disappears off down a hill. This, I think it's fair to say, marks a little bit of a gear shift tone-wise in this one. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean... I do still love the second half of the film, but it does feel very much like a different film to the first half. Like, the tone is completely different. It loses its creepiness and becomes more of an action-orientated thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still still likable in its own way. You just sort of have to change gears in your mind and recognise that this... It's a very different thing. Yeah. I'm kind of glad you said that before any of the rest of us did, because that's what I thought as well i think that like because this kind of i think marks uh and there's there's elements of the second half of this film that i really like but i think that as the scale of it widens out and like you say it does kind of turn because it does it does turn into more of a kind of like a a more frivolous and more kind of action-based kind of thing and Mm -hmm. i don't dislike it for that but the stuff that was seeded in the first half works for me personally way more yeah yeah yeah, me too it's it sets such an amazing creepy tone and then that is sort of undone in the second half which is a shame but it's again it's still great on its own merits but very different so yeah and i I think that it's important to remember that like it is a it's like it's a total 180 but what it does in the second half it still does really well Yes, exactly. I think the thing for me that sticks out from this part onwards is we see too much of the spaceship stuff and the creatures. That could have been held off a little bit longer and we could have just had hints of maybe what he's seen if he has to go into the ship at all at this point. Um, Yeah, I I thought the exact same thing. It's it's too much too soon and then it kind of kills the mystery a little bit. It does feel like kind of all the reveals at once, doesn't it? Because um, Mm -hmm. he does follow her down into this cave and you see her kind of reasoning with this massive amorphous alien overlord you mean krang from the teenage mutant ninja turtles exactly what i thought yeah that'd be the one but yeah not only that you do kind of kind of introduced as it were to a whole load of different kinds of creatures all at once and i think that it would have been more fun to space these out and kind of get and give you a little bit more time to take a proper look at each of them because it does feel like a little bit of bombardment yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. the big drone creatures i really love them yeah i think they're great a lot of people didn't like them or thought they were a bit too silly monstrous whatever but i think they're great they're really original yeah i haven't seen anything else like that i mean they're very practical you know yeah they're very very silly They're, they're controlled by a man in the suit who has a little person strapped to his back in a backpack like a papoose and the little person controls certain parts and then the 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 big person controls the rest so there's a there's all sorts going on in that suit yeah i think it's beautiful and it's it's even better when you know what's happening inside (laughs) 
Like, see, like, I, I wasn't going to watch this again anytime soon, and now I feel like I have to watch it again just to understand that functionality and watch it in action, knowing what yeah. I know now. Um, at this point, I think this is really funny, actually. David gets kind of chased out by a horde of creatures, and then Linda finds him, quite fortuitously, it seems, and then he tries to tell her what's happening and then kind of takes off running. And uh, she then says, you're not just a crazy child, are you? Which is not <laughs> a question that a crazy child would answer yes to. I know, I love that. I think that's my favourite line. And the way she delivers it as well, it's so absurd. A kind of like mumsy exasperation rather than this yeah. kind of fear, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's positing the theory that he may in fact be crazy, but to me it's a theory that isn't entirely out with the realms of possibility because he's acting like a crazy person. Yeah, it's a, it's a reasonable question, it's true. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not an unreasonable first thing to go to. <laughs> because especially given the fact that actually the evidence that she's seen as presented to her is fairly limited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, she, she doesn't have much to go on and what she does have to go on, pretty damning. Yeah, basically she's very lucky that nobody asked her to go over the hill because she would have gone over the hill in a heartbeat. <laughs> 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 yep, everyone. Shortly after this, now, right, so this is our first look at people disappearing into the sand pits. Yes. Mm-hmm. We see two men with metal detectors and orange jumpsuits getting sucked into a large sand pit. And then we see also that Mrs. McKelch has driven a school bus full of children to the sand pits also. <laughs> yeah. Everything that starts happening here happens so much so fast that I was losing my grip on both the plot and reality as this was going on. Right. Yeah, yeah. I have to admit, I kind of zone out a little bit at that point and then kind of come back in when it's all marine stuff. <laughs> That's reasonable. There's a little bit of kind of, a, there's a little bit of zigzagging around on the map here that feels a little bit like flab to me. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit flabby. Also, quick question, right? So David escapes with uh, Linda, but they stop at a gas station and Mrs. McKelch tries to grab him tries to throw him into the yellow bus and take him away they escape see the aliens who assume human form right Mm -hmm. the thing that i find interesting about this is that they seem to have like almost no real interest in blending in you mean that she attempts to abduct a child in broad daylight in a street where any number of people could have subdued her or tried to stop her and then runs after the car shaking her fist saying i'll get you for this david gardner but also just kind of like all the aliens that you see act in these very specifically non-human ways yeah they're not very good at assimilating (laughs) it just made me wonder if that was ever a motive i guess the what we're supposed to do is identify with david so to us it's so obvious what's happening but yet to the people around them, they don't seem to see it. Yeah, like I said, I think that everything involving them kind of getting to the school and running around in the school kind of takes a while. Um, or it feels like it takes a while. It's kind of what we're talking about. I think it's the only bit that feels like a sag. Um, however, there is a kind of satisfying moment here. They get down to the basement. The almost kiss that you talked about, Andy, happens at this point. But do, um, I mean, remember the the like mother and son in real life. So Yeah. And but also, which not, makes it so much worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true acting, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Sure. Uh, but yeah, they are pursued by police here who are also aliens right at the point where it looks like things like they're chased down to the basement. The police have their guns cocked. And um, at this point, the floor splits open and a giant like kind of bladed alien sphere rises up that kind of upsets the situation enough for them to get away. This, <laughs> in terms of like creature stuff, I think that this thing looks really cool. It does look very Mitch cool. Oh. <laughs> Don't spoil it. <laughs> I know. Don't shout the illusion. I yeah. I well. I like it. Drill or alien. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> this this is kind of my favorite patently ridiculous thing that um, mm-hmm. that happens, and it's kind of the trigger point for the entire third act, which is that um, David phones up his dad's pal, the army man, General Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Is that right? <laughs> 
And uh, genuinely, in the measure of one phone call and one conversation, has mobilised an entire battalion of Marines. I know, what a child. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. Uh, James Caron here as well, uh, from who was in Return of the Living Dead, and Portergeist, he's incredible, incredible. Yeah, he's great. He kind of picks up the momentum again, I think, when, when he's introduced. Um, you're sort of back on board then. By the way, this film um, kind of getting in ahead of the curve because what we have here is a kind of subplot about copper theft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is a genuine, Very true. a genuine problem. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, maybe it's aliens. Oh. <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> but um, uh, Sarah, to your point about James Caron here, I agree. I think that like at a point where the film needs an injection of something, I think that there's enough dynamism to what he's doing that I think that yeah. he almost single-handedly pulls it back. Yeah, he's kind of got the gravitas and the weight and the character to sort of get you back on board. I agree. I think so. I, I think I think so. Fair play to David here, who in an army base filled with generals and fancy tech still uh, is has the presence of mind to do his due diligence with like, alien checks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, again, solid kid. Also, uh, somehow manages to school the military on the energy requirements of kind of <laughs> extraterrestrial <laughs> interstellar vehicles. Yeah, I, I love that. His sort of strangely half-assed line that he's got about there's not enough water to support life. <laughs> like, like, calm down, David. You're saying the world, sure, but... <laughs> but they're all standing around him, like, taking notes and nodding, like, oh, yeah, carry on, kid. <laughs> he has a point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, I, th- I think it's funny that, like, because General Wilson initially, fair enough, he's understandably, like, sceptical about the shape-shifting intergalactic essence stealers narrative that's being fed to him by a ten-year-old. <laughs> but, like, yeah, yeah. It speaks to um, uh, David's power as a um, as a storyteller, as a strategist, as a tactician. <laughs> they get everyone inside. Yeah. <laughs> David for president. <laughs> David twenty twenty. Gardner twenty twenty. Yes. <laughs> G- Gardner Warren twenty twenty. Yeah, fair play though. Uh, General Wilson gives the whole theory some airspace, investigates, and does immediately find some stuff that I think it's fair to describe as troubling. You mean uh, you yeah. mean when uh, the two NASA guys are brought in and alien probes emerge from the backs of their necks? Yes, that's the troubling content I was talking about. Yeah, we're yeah. also introduced to Doctor Stout and Doctor Weinstein here. Uh, that's a name that's lost its luster. <laughs> yeah, just a touch. Um, I love this because uh, David is getting introduced to all these incredibly high-ranking government officials like he's a person of massive repute, which in fairness, he is. Yeah. Like he's yeah. Matthew Broderick and Godzilla. <laughs> right. I need some help from both of you here. Is that about I say the film? He, when I say it, yeah, well, I mean, I mean yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, you want to get that looked at. I mean, like, I mean, like, on a variety of topics that we'll leave off, Mike. But for now, let's stick with the film. Mm-hmm. This gear shifts pretty rapidly into action territory, and I was, I was trying to take notes, and I felt like every time I looked down and looked up again, something else kind of crazy or a different set piece had happened, or we'd moved to something else. Mm-hmm. We are setting up here for the kind of humans versus aliens standoff of the piece. Sure. So, right, the sand pits. Yes. What? <laughs> Is that your question? That's the question. <laughs> I mean, to paint with extremely broad strokes, yes. Like, just some, someone explain it to me. Because they are not... They, they, they don't feature at all in the first half when people are first getting possessed and things. And then they're introduced very abruptly and then they become kind of pivotal. It's basically, I guess, the, the alien's way of covering over their spaceships to make David look like he's a moron and crazy. Right, okay. Um, when everyone turns up and they're like, hey, there's no spaceship here, it's just a sand pit. But then the sand pit devours people. Mm. It devours people. Got yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
it was the cloaking device element that I hadn't caught. Right, okay. There, there you go. That was the crucial element. Now it all makes sense, right? Sarah, I will level with you. I am not a smart man. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> You're no David Gardner. I really like I really like <laughs> I really like the line where they're like, uh, where James Cannon says, Marines have no qualms about killing Martians. <laughs> that is a beautiful line, actually. There's a poetry to it. I love that, especially because he's saying it to be like encouraging to a small child, because right before that, he's like, ah, oh, come on, kid, we're not out of options yet. <laughs> <laughs> and he's kind of like trying to like G him up and make him feel good in this very camp counselor kind of way, but then immediately just alludes to the mass bloodshed that's about to happen. <laughs> Which is at that point comforting. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, if I was in that situation, that's what I'd want to know as well. That's what I would want to hear. Yeah, like you are going to kill them all, right? <laughs> um, we do lose, I believe, Doctor Weinstein um, around this time. They head underground and uh, run into some of my favourite creatures. Actually, I think. Yeah, the drones. Yeah, uh, they run into them, and he tries to kind of reason with them a bit. And I feel like that's something that is often there as well. There's always like a kind of like vaguely wafer pseudo intellectual who thinks that you should try and reason with them instead of or instead of or before we kill them yeah that's not new but it it, it is charming the way he does it though bless him uh, and i like how the the, the aliens are just kind of standing there like maybe they can be reasoned with <laughs> and yeah he does have this moment of kind of like very pure and very naive joy when he thinks that he's done it yeah and, then, mm, and like then you he's... understood me didn't you <laughs> and he's uh, almost immediately incinerated <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. that's what you get for optimism. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I was just like nihilism over optimism every last time. Yeah, pretty much. It's actually quite a nihilistic film, really, at the end of the day. I suppose it is. Yeah. So, yeah. We're like we're kind of stepping in towards the kind of the, the last big fight, and by that I mean we're getting towards the uh, coin slot moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the Marines respond instantly, blasting those aliens for incinerating the, do- the stupid doctor who thought it was wise to go up and speak to these incredibly unapproachable-looking blobs. Outside on the sand, a mob of Marines and David and Linda are sucked down. By the way, great effect that spinny sand thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to them. Um, and then we're back in the spaceship. Some time has passed, presumably because David wakes from unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, for some reason, McKelch seems to be suspended from a wall, manning some kind of weird insertion device. Yeah, she's really moved up the ranks, it seems. Well, I mean, she could have been a high-ranking probe to begin with. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. And she seems a good choice. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'd probably recruit her too if I was trying to assimilate a nation of beings. You know your way around the compliments there, really. <laughs> 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 the situation's grave here. They also have Linda. They do, yeah, and she's next in mm-hmm. line for a probing. Yep, she is prone for a probing. Oh dear. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, th- this kind of tradition that's been built up over the runtime of this film of David being taken to meet high-ranking officials continues here when he's taken to meet the Krang brain thing, which we now learn is called the Supreme Intelligence. Yeah, yeah, he gets some pretty good access. Yeah, he does. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's meeting kings, dignitaries, heads of state. <laughs> it's like Boris Gump. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it makes in what I would describe as a gutsy, ambitious, and probably quite speculative manoeuvre does plead for compassion from the Supreme Intelligence. Yeah, <laughs> and he gets a good hearing out, to be he, fair. He does, but his, uh, he realises pretty quickly, I think, that he's 10 years old and he really has nothing to offer this brain character. So what he says is, look, I'll go to school every day. (laughs) Yeah, promise. (laughs) Give a shit. (laughs) Nah. 
Well, that's kind of the brain's attitude because he immediately decides that he's going to proceed with his plan of action to which uh, David calls him Dick Brain. Yeah, I had to play that a couple of times to make sure he actually did say Dick Brain, but yep, he does. Oh no, I've played that a couple of times just because it's funny because then he runs up and punches the brain. (laughs) But I mean, that's what you would do though. That's what I would do. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Call it Dick Brain and punch it. He does, he, he does hold the record for the quickest 180 away from pacifism that I've seen in a while, though. Run <laughs> <laughs> uh, right about this time as well, McKelch is eaten by one of the other creatures. Yes, like she is now the frog. Oh. Oh. You see, you see? Her legs were kicking, just like the frog's legs were kicking. Do you know, oh, I didn't nice. even make that connection, but I laughed exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Provokes the same reaction, yeah. <laughs> Inevitably, I did not make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> The aliens are kind of like stopped in their tracks just before Linda gets her neck injection slash probing. Sure. Yep. They try to escape at this point and they are headed off by a Chekhov's giant sentient bladed extraterrestrial combat sphere. Um, <laughs> Very effective. Yep. Yep. It's a drill. Uh, fuck off. It's a combat sphere. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so this is the coin slot moment where we need to right. No, you know what? I'm not even going to try and describe this because all I know is that there is a coin size slot in the back of this thing, mm-hmm. and David has a coin on his person given to him by his father in simpler, less alieny days. Sure. <laughs> How do they connect the dots that this is going to work? Well, because he saw um, one of the other creatures put a copper stick into itself, or one right. of the other ones. So he kind of put two and two together. Yeah, he, he's already... You know, it makes sense. Yeah, they've already discussed the fact that the aliens are smelting down copper. Aha, uh-huh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they yeah. already know that a lot of what they're choosing to use and choosing to power their stuff with is copper. I might be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure there's a high copper concentration on Mars. Okay. I may well have made that. Oh. I think I did. Oh, I think I totally So they needn't have left home after all. Oh, no. Kind of makes it all feel a bit privileged, really, doesn't it? But, Mitch, to put this in terms that you might understand better, what they have here is a laser egg. <laughs> laser egg, yeah. Coin operated laser egg. <laughs> that, well, in the wider scale of things, there's been a bomb set, crucially, that's due to go off in five minutes, so they have to escape. Uh, the only mm-hmm. way out is through the walls, and the only way through the walls is with alien technology. In this case, the coin-operated laser egg. I see. Okay, with you now. Yep. Yep. Thanks no for one that. has any coins because the, the one of the marines helpfully offers up the fact that coins aren't allowed in battle. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for putting it in terms to speak to me. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> But yeah, like basically, the last kind of roadblock to them trying to escape is David's parents trying to, or air quotes, parents trying to reason with them to kind of come with them, join them kind of thing. And then there's a kind of short chase that ensues after that, just around the time the bomb goes off. Yeah. I always find it weird that they they chase them so far away from their spaceship. It feels very convenient that they chase them so far away. Yeah, that was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Many things at the end of this film are lucky. <laughs> well, I suppose that's true. Not least that... Um, at least initially, it seems like it might have all been a bad dream. Certainly for the, on the Marines' part, the plan seems to have gone exactly to plan. The spaceship takes off, it explodes, the weird little probe things in the back of the parents' necks explode. I saw some trivia that when uh, the mums exploded, it incinerated all of her hair. Oof. 
Like, right. on the back of our neck. Jesus, okay. Oh, that's uh, troubling. Which is quite funny. Yeah. But then they're, they're <laughs> troubling, they're totally, troubling is the word, yeah. They're totally unscathed. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. David wakes startled from what appears to be a dream. Yeah. For a minute, I was quite mad about this. But I did kind of hope that it would have something else up its sleeve. And it does. Go on then. So uh, he, w- he wakes up in a state of some distress. We see him kind of uh, panicking <laughs> in, this, in the same way that he did kind of uh, back at the start. What I, what I like about this actually is, that because obviously we do kind of get to the point where there's a little bit of a sting in the tail. But it teases that out for longer than most things like this tend to. Okay. Yeah, like you feel like you do get a resolution and then there's the twist. It's not just like, ah, it was a nightmare. Ah, no, it wasn't. Like the parents come through and they sit and they have this entire conversation and uh, George uh, basically says, oh, it's like, you know, if you think about it, a lot of the stuff that you've seen had a lot to do with the things that happened to you today. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, you know, like you've got something for your coin collection, all this kind of stuff. And even talking about the general showing up at your school and all this kind of thing. And like, I, I, I like the fact that in a just, again, just in a kind of like in the window of like a couple of minutes, again, just with that kind of very natural family dynamic, they do kind of give you enough to think that that might just be how it finishes. Yeah, they do. And you're, you're left feeling kind of satisfied, but also kind of, oh, does it have to just be a dream? Not for long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No sooner have we seen him again in his little pajama suit than... Uh... <laughs> The stakes are raised again. Off to do do some sleepy business. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Off to the land and odd, briefcase in hand. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, yeah, the 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 spaceship arrives all over again, and it's uh, certainly seems to be like some kind of weird extraterrestrial Groundhog Day. Yeah, which is utterly devastating. <laughs> I think, <laughs> like when you've seen this poor child go through so much. And then just to know it's going to happen all over again, <laughs> I, would, I would just go over the hill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I would next time as well. Just it seems just, the mm-hmm. easiest. Nice option. picnic first. Yeah. Just know oh, a delicious handful of uh, hamburger and salt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, mm. I think I think I'd be the same. I wouldn't be like, oh my god, I can't believe I have to do all this again. I would just be like, you know what, fuck it, let's just see what's over the hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he runs yeah. in to get his parents' attention again. Runs into their bedroom, kicks the door open, screams in terror, and we're out. We can only, I can only imagine what he's seen when he barges into his parents room um (laughs) (laughs) i I mean there's a lot of things that can happen in a parent's bedroom that no young boy should ever see (laughs) (laughs) i'm thinking gimp dad oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, an assimilated gimp dad yeah I'm thinking oh yes like, not just a gimp dad but a cold emotionless removed gimp dad who's uh, behaving very suspiciously yeah, yeah. covered in sweeteners <laughs> I, I'm thinking maybe maybe man baby yeah yeah could be <laughs> you, you know what we don't need an exhaustive list of these <laughs> I'm also thinking we could uh, go on human pig feasible Mm-hmm. Honestly, I feel like we're getting further away from it. Do you not think that, that <laughs> to me, that's a funnier ending if he runs in there thinking there's a spaceship and finds a, an even more devastating tableau in front it's of a, him yeah. that would ruin his entire life? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, yeah, there are no aliens, yeah. but your nightmare is just beginning. Yeah, there's no coming back from that. Um, with that, we are out on Invaders from Mars. And Sarah, like I say, I saw this for the first time uh, this evening before mm-hmm. we sat down to talk about this. I am very happy that I've seen it. I really enjoyed it. I think that, just to touch on something that we did say earlier on, I think that you're quite right that this film works better when the stuff that it's trying to do is creepier and more insidious. I think that um, just as a matter of personal preference, I think that that stuff is better. And when it kind of widens out and becomes this kind of explosions and hail to gunfire, humans versus aliens monster movie, it kind of pulls away from me a little bit. But I think that like, it's an important distinction to recognize that like that, 
does less for me, but works no less well, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely, and I totally agree with you. Andy? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, this film was a massive kind of commercial and critical failure. Came nowhere close to matching anyone's expectations of it, really. Uh, and I think that's a shame. I have to agree with everything that's been said about how the film kind of starts and, and the fact that the best stuff really is to be found in the first half an hour, 40 minutes maybe. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of taper off from that and it never really manages to pick it back up again. But I think in terms of some of the stuff that Toby Hooper was making run about this time, it's as good as or better than a lot of it. For me, it's he made a kid's film here. And while I don't think it works all the way as a kid's film, I think it's really lovable. And I watched it as a kid. I loved it as a kid. And I, I could see kids nowadays loving it. To me, it hasn't lost any of that. Yeah, I agree. I think the people who, who diss it maybe are judging it as if it wasn't a kid's film. Yeah. I think when you, it clearly is. <laughs> I think you see Toby Hooper's name attached to it. Like, I mean, probably the closest to making a kid's film he'd really done before this was Poltergeist. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, Which still I wouldn't say is a kid's film. I would say... uh, No. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush to show this to a child necessarily, but I'd say a, a kid of a certain age, I think would still find a lot to love in Invaders from Mars. Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, it's still the same things that excite children and that scare them. I mean, those things don't change. No, and I I, I know for a fact that this kid here, I I, I still really liked it. I still took a lot away from it tonight. And it made me feel the same way it did when I was younger, where I was like, should I be watching this? Is this this appropriate for me? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And just racking my brains, pushing 40, going, why the fuck was I watching this when I was seven or eight? Yeah. What damage has it done? <laughs> How's it informed you as a person? As Andy the adult? Ooh, yeah. Uh... Was, was that where your fear of suit pajamas first originated? <laughs> <laughs> no, they they actually that that fear actually originated from a burgundy set I had when I was a little boy. And I, <laughs> and I remember looking at myself in the mirror one time at my grands and going, "Look at yourself." Look at what you're. Look at what they've got you wearing. Say something. <laughs> Did you? No, no. I was. I was young. I had to just make do. Oh. I wasn't. I wasn't of an age where I could just s- sleep in the scud. <laughs> well, no. Not my granny. Not my granny's house. No, no. On that note, though, Sarah. Yes. How about you catch us up a little bit on what's been going on with you and what's been going on with Hex? Yeah. How about it, Sarah? Okay. Well, um, obviously, at the moment things are a little strange, but. Um, <laughs> Luckily, we don't really need to leave the house to do much of our work, so there's still plenty that we're going along with. Just finished editing our next book, which is a collection of horror short stories um, called The the Hex Book of Beastly Creatures. Nice. Um, So that will be going to the printers very soon. Uh, We were also in the early stages of production for For We Are Many 2, which unsurprisingly is the sequel to For We Are Many. (laughs) For We Are More. Um, (laughs) <laughs> for there are more of us now. It doesn't exactly trip off the tongue the same way, but we're going in a different direction. Um, so that will be an anthology of short films, all taking inspiration from the stories of Lovecraft and oh. made by directors from all over the place, including me. Nice. Oh, yes. I see. Very cool. Yes. Okay. You in a position to uh, give us any more clues about who else might be involved in that one? Well, there'll, there'll be a few uh, directors returning from the first one. So we'll have Mark Logan, um, 
Also, Patrick Ria is going to do one. Oh, um, uh, that did uh, uh, Enclosure. Yes, exactly. Yep. And uh, Charlie Steeds is going to do one. Uh, okay. Sam Ashurst, I think. So, yeah, we've, we've got pretty much everybody confirmed now. And everyone's sort of in pre-production waiting for a time when they can be unleashed into the world and shoot. Fantastic. Where can people keep up with both you and Hex on social media? The best way is probably at Hex Horror, which is our Twitter account. Uh, we pretty much share everything there. Um, you can also find me and Laurie on Facebook. There are about 500 million Sarah Dailies on there, but no. <laughs> if you search real hard, <laughs> you'll find me. Also, our, our YouTube, which is Hex Studios. Um, we've been posting lots of video diaries sort of following our, our journey. So there's there's plenty of info for fans and filmmakers there. Great. Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time out to do this. Obviously, like you say, uh, it is a weird time at the moment. So thanks for taking the time and thanks for uh, helping us out as we trialed doing uh, this from... <laughs> different spots across the country so i um, know we yeah. appreciate you taking the time and yeah. uh oh, no worries yeah sarah thank you so much for this uh this has been something we were trying to get going for a while with yourself and it's lovely to to finally have you on the show doing this and to be doing invaders from mars is a treat for me so oh thank you guys it's an absolute pleasure and, and a lovely distraction from the dystopia Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> So more than a year in the making, finally, Sarah Daly joins us. And what a film to choose. Yeah, I, I had a blast. I had a blast with the film. I had a blast with the chat. And uh, yeah, the, the, this was weird. I've got to be honest, Mitch. It feels weird to be so distant from you. I know we we do the occasional mini-sode like this in this format. Yeah, but it does feel strange for the main ones, doesn't it? Yeah, because we normally watch the film together, and or as much as possible, we watch the film together, and we, we kind of just like have a giggle about the film while we're watching it, and then we come together in the same room and do this. But uh, yeah, it is quite odd to have only come together just before we had the call. Yeah, yeah, it is strange. But I mean, you know, maybe I have to get used to it for a little while. Yeah, I know. Wow. Crazy fucking times. Crazy times indeed. However, we will be reporting back from our respective isolation stations on Monday with Minisode 96. <laughs> we'll be doing all the usual stuff on that one. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We will be talking about my 90s side quest, which I think I might go and actually maybe take care of right now. Right, sweet. Might go, okay. might go dig myself out a wee 90s movie to watch um, as I settle down. To well, uh, settle down. The faculty. Well, you know what? When you said it, I did wonder, actually. I might I might be at my alien tipping point for the evening, but who knows? We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about everything else we've been watching. We'll be taking a look at your feedback as well. And, of course, we'll be playing Mitch's Pitches and letting you know everything about what you need to know for next week's episode. And that is going to be a fun one as well. Yeah, I can't wait for the next week as well. The, the, we're in a cool kind of hot streak of films that I love. Um, and also just kind of like, like yeah, like fun, like fun guests with fun ideas. But I think that, yeah, if, if you've been listening to the show for a while, I think that you'll uh, you'll find something to like in the way that this has come together. Yeah, definitely. In the meantime, though, if you want to get in touch with us, there's loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can, of course, tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. And you can email Longer Considerations, uh, Doomsday Thoughts, Musical Interludes, Mitch's Pitches Suggestions. Also, get your suggestions in from the 51st Watches. Obviously, we want to hear from you. If you think there's something out there that I should watch, let me know. Um, we're trying to put together a master list of things for me to work my way through. Um, yep. I would urge the listeners, though, to uh, cross-reference the things that you're going to suggest with the Shockwaves 100. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. There will be no repeats. 51st yeah. Watches is the rule. And yeah, do all those things by email, I would say, and that's scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and you can jump onto our website and have a scoot about there at strongviolentpod.com. Uh, we'll do our best to try and get some bits and bobs together for you in this weird time to keep everybody engaged and updated. 
we're trying a couple of things that we might want to do to bring listeners in and try to just alleviate the boredom that we're all inevitably going to be feeling over the next couple of weeks. And guys, just before we go, just please, please make sure you're doing what you're told in these weird times. Don't be fucking going and hanging about at barbecues and don't be going and playing football in the park with your pals and don't be, just don't be wankers. Just stay inside, stay cool, stay happy, stay safe, stay well. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. You'll get to jail if you do any of those things, you know. Yeah, yeah, you'll be in the pokey, sir. We're back Monday with Minisode 96. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it's better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.